This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for continuing to tune in here on Kelly and Ramya. To Kelly and Ramya. I don't know. I think I said something grammatically wrong. But anyways, Kelly is still in the midst of a technical war and Grant and I are holding down the fort. And Grant, you're playing double duty because we're just about to get into headlines, as we usually do on Mondays, with Grant Hardy. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. We also have Beth Deer joining us, and she's going to be conversing with us through these headlines. Beth, welcome. Thank you very much. I always love the headline segments. There's always so much to talk about, so take it away, Grant. Absolutely. Well, that's really kind. Um, my, so my first article, just re- we're basically talking about two two things today that we talk about a lot, the housing crisis and mm. AI. <laughs> um, but at least they're not uh, they're not overly negative things. So the first thing relates to people who put their properties up for short-term uh, rental on places like Airbnb. Um, and apparently this week, there is going to be some new items in the uh, fiscal policy for the federal government that are trying to make that less lucrative uh, and force coerce people to pay a little bit more taxes on that. Uh, so, for, for example, apparently expenses that you incur related to your uh, rental, those will not be able to be uh deducted when you're taxed on your income uh and um that's basically basically they're saying that you can expect airbnbs to be much more unattractive from an income purpose because you're going to be taxed on those quite a lot of course places are already restricting them and they're basically doing it for a couple reasons i mean one the housing crisis people are getting kicked out of their homes with hugely high mortgages the second one i don't know beth if if you're running into this issue where you are but where i live and i think where romia lives as well you, you know people are not able to like actually rent out places at a, a reasonable price uh, plus mm-hmm. the fact, mm-hmm. and plus the mm-hmm. fact that Airbnbs are wholly unattractive to the the neighborhoods in terms of the tragedy of the commons. People just, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, curious what your thoughts are on this. Sorry, wait. Go through that point again about being unattractive for neighborhoods. So, uh, just essentially, it's the tragedy of the commons, right? Where a, a, you know. In neighborhoods, you you know, you kind of tend to build a lot of community. There's a little bit of, you know, accountability. Uh, but with Airbnbs, you often just get, you know, people who kind of use the place for a big Rental. party or you yeah. know, don't really, you know, clean up after themselves. And what are you going to do? Go go and talk to them? Uh, you know, listen, can you get better, you know, a few weeks down the road? Like they're not, they're not going to be there down the road. So just that kind of, yeah. um, yeah. I've at so many Airbnbs, like in so many different places. And I do think they just get a bad reputation because majority of the time, 
you know, they are hosting large groups. Like I remember even this time last year, I stayed at an Airbnb in Toronto actually. And um, the guy, like, I guess the hosts are told now to like have cameras that they can keep an eye on everyone who's staying there. A lot of them have like noise devices inside so that if you go over like a certain amount of decibels, the host will message you and be like, hey, like keep it down. So we were in Toronto for a funeral um, and like we had a lot of family staying there. There was like 14 of us and um, it was not a pet friendly um, Airbnb. And the host came at me, calling me a liar because obviously I brought my guide Dr. Patronus with me. And uh, I like fought back and forth with him about the fact he's a guide dog. He obviously didn't believe me. I sent him loads of proof. Um, and he was like, hey, I won't rate you if you don't rate me. I was like, cool. I hope I educated you. Yes. But I... Wow. I think like just a lot of the time there's just they have a bad reputation but I've never stayed at an Airbnb where like the host hasn't been like what are you guys doing you're making too much noise like even if it's just been like a quiet like time you know <laughs> oh well that's really good to know that's really good to know that and I'll, I'll admit that was a little more of uh, a, a little less why I think they're actually doing it it's more to address the yeah. crisis of unaffordable housing it um, is unaffordable I mean it's unaffordable even when you turn to Airbnb for uh, a monthly stay as an example right like there are a lot of people who now split their time between home and other locations either due to work or just because of the flexibility that's now offered more than never before and people will just go out and and spend time um elsewhere and most likely you're going to Airbnbs because as you started this conversation Grant you didn't necessarily say Airbnb it was just like short-term rentals right mm -hmm. um, but yeah. a lot of people do turn to this as an option obviously and even with that i mean if you look at when airbnb first became popular first got on the map um to now the price increase is staggering like whether you're looking for a one night thing to to hang out for a vacation or whether you're looking at monthly stays i mean regardless it seems to be always popular and ever booked uh, no matter where you go, that especially if it's well-rated and the hosts have good reviews and the locations have good reviews, you tend to find that things are just constantly and consistently booked up. But um, price ranges, I still look at this stuff and I'm like, this is astronomical. This is what I'm paying for a, a monthly rental. And it's give or take the amount that I would pay in Toronto for my current rental, you know, for a, an apartment or whatever it is. And I, I wonder, like, what exactly continues to make airbnb popular or continues to let it stay popular as it becomes pricey and incredibly difficult to as you know you guys have pointed out communicate with hosts um uh find and guarantee safety or privacy or all these other things that are you know not part of this topic but just bigger picture scenarios i i still wonder like but nonetheless that's the app we go to this is the the, the booking um, option that we go to before anything else. Yeah, gee, it's so true. And and I'm very curious as well about why that's the case, but maybe it's just pure availability uh, yeah. on its own. Where I was going to say, just like convenience. I also think it's the way that the platform is designed. Like if you, in my opinion, at least, like I find Airbnb 
more accessible than maybe Expedia, for example. Like, I don't actually know. Uh, like, so navigating the nap, the app, Expedia, sorry. Yeah. So, like, it's kind of, like, not the same thing at all, but, like, I always turn to Netflix over another streaming service mm. because I'm familiar with that platform. I know how it works, and it's easier for me to navigate than Crave. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. fair. Just and it's an all-in-one scenario, right? Like you can look yeah. for all kinds of accommodations and time periods and locations versus doing it uh, all yourself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But with these new changes, I wonder what's going to happen then. Totally. Uh, listen, let's move on and talk about something else kind of interesting real quick. Uh, but uh, AI is doing uh, predicting... Uh, people who are going to develop Alzheimer's. So researchers have developed artificial intelligence-based approaches. Uh, For example, one algorithm efficiently sorts through large numbers of brain images and picks out ones that have characteristics of Alzheimer's. And a second machine learning method uh, identifies important structural features of the brain. And this effort could help scientists efficiently spot new signs of Alzheimer's in brain scans. This is really cool because uh, it's important to catch it first if you, uh, as early on as you can, uh, because apparently if you do that, uh, you can actually help the patients to have as uh, reasonable um, lives as possible. And apparently there are biomarkers in there that are very difficult to for a human to sort of pick out, but AIs can swiftly scan that genetic data. I don't really know how you would get it into the data bank to begin with, but I guess that's mm-hmm. maybe the next step. I, I you know, I, I curiously your, your thoughts. I'm, vi- I, I view AI sometimes a bit negatively, and then I think that it is just going to take a bunch of people's jobs, and that's going to be unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But in a case like this, for stuff that humans just are not very good at doing, sifting through like a million different images, I think this could be very beneficial. Yeah, um, I think this is the ideal use for AI, to be honest with you. There are so many different cases and there's, you know, the social acceptability of it all and how much AI scares us in all different circumstances, especially what you were saying, Grant, like where are we just going to go obsolete? Like, do we not use, need to use our brains anymore? But this in the the medical, in the data analysis, in the let's crank like crank into AI everything that we have, all the gatherings of science or whatever data possible uh, on this particular, you know, issue, or it doesn't even necessarily have to be an issue, but this circumstance, and then see what AI comes up with. Because, and I I heard um, Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about this, and I thought it was really like very well explained for, for science especially, is that it just saves so much time. Right, and it saves so much um, unclear capacity that we have or don't have, or like our lack of capacity as human beings, and just says, AI, we know you're good at this, let's like optimize the scenario. So in medicine and in science particularly, I think data uh, analysis is just the primary way that we can utilize AI without thinking so hard about, oh, well, do we want it to? Can it really? It just I think it can save years of work um, for humans. 
Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's interesting. I can't remember who you were talking to last week, Ramia, but like you said, you were like, I'm really interested to see what AI can do for us in like the medical industry. And I'm kind of like you, Grant, where I'm like, I do view it kind mm. of negatively. This, you know, done some amazing things for, you know, us as the blind community. I think that there's a lot of things that it's been super, super helpful. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm kind of just like, no, I, I'm going to trust the people. <laughs> um, yeah. But this, I think, is so unique and something that is hopefully going to help a lot of people. I'm all for this particular thing. Mm. And like, there's even people in like my family and my husband's family that, you know, could maybe use this screening. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things where I can almost see like a couple of different futures. Like the one future, we all just lose our jobs, we're obsolete, AI can just kind of interact as all of us, and it's like, what in the heck do we do now? Mm. The other future is where AI is just used for super useful applications. We have, you know, a little sort of machine it can hook us up to, scans our, you know, brain for all kinds of stuff, uploads it in a privacy-friendly way, compares it. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like where we optimize AI, but know how we can still be the ones to handle it. Yeah. I definitely have exceptions like, you know, if it can do my dishes and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like it could organize your house like perfectly in ways you would never think of doing. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe it'll tell us how to actually pack the dishwasher correctly because this seems to be a major feud no matter where I go and who I talk to. Uh, Beth, thanks for joining us for Headlines. Thanks for having me. Grant, you are most likely going to be back after the break, uh, but thank you for Headlines also. After the break on Kelly and Ramia, we're speaking with filmmaker, writer, director, and actor Emily Schooley about her short film called Psyche. This was featured in the most recent episode of Disrupt on AMI+, and we'll find out more about it on the show. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.